All right, that's going to be fun. That'll start next week again at the 11 o'clock because at 9.45, we assume all of our kiddos will be in Sunday school. So uh, in her classic children's novel that I'm sure many of you have read, Tuck Everlasting, Natalie Babbitt writes this. The first week of August hangs at the very top of summer, the top of the live long year, like the highest seat of a Ferris wheel when it pauses in its turning. The weeks that come before are only a climb from balmy spring and those that follow a drop to the chill of autumn. It's a compelling image, I think. We're at the, at the top of the Ferris wheel on this first Sunday of August, pausing before the drop into the busyness of autumn. I hope you've had a wonderful summer. I hope you've had a chance to relax and unwind and hopefully even travel somewhere. Maybe there have been trips to theme parks or water parks or rough riders or rangers games. I'm kind of listing the things that I've done over the past couple of months. In short, I hope that the past couple of months have been more uh, like normal than last year anyway. After a, a tough COVID year and the uncertainty of what lies ahead as the pandemic continues, now, you may be wondering, uh, Chris, why are you speaking about summer in the past tense? It's only August 1st, even if we are at the top of the Ferris wheel. Uh, I'm glad you asked. It's because, as every parent of a school-age child certainly knows, uh, with excitement, uh, maybe some sadness, probably both, the start of the school year is just a few days away. Some of our kids are in school districts that go back tomorrow, believe it or not. Plano and Frisco schools go back a week and a half from now. Richardson schools go back the week after that. That means that summer for our kids is just about over. And so uh, next Sunday, as I mentioned in the announcements, uh, we'll be back to school Sunday, as is our tradition. We're going to be blessing backpacks and students and teachers in worship. It's also going to be promotion Sunday for all grades of our children's and youth ministries. Our children's and youth choirs resume rehearsals a week from today, with the sanctuary choir rehearsals resuming a few days after that. Beginning next week, our fall programming begins to, wrap, uh, to ramp up, uh, including, as I mentioned, the beginning of our back-to-school sermon series about the story of Abraham and Sarah. The bottom line, as hard as it is to believe, I know, is that today is the last Sunday of the summer here at Christ United. To borrow that image from Tuck Everlasting, we are truly at the top of the Ferris wheel. And so, uh, before we launch into the fall, I figured we would uh, wrap up the summer with a sermon from the lectionary text for today, or one of the lectionary texts for today, because uh, today's lectionary is a great one. Last month, we spent a, a couple of weeks on a little mini-series on one of my very favorite books of the Bible, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And if you were here uh, a few weeks ago, you remember, no doubt, how... Um, we talked about the, the, of the 13 letters that are attributed to Paul in the New Testament, seven of them were written by Paul himself. The six others were most likely written in his name by a student of his at, in some later generation. Now, uh, people often ask, how do we know that? It's because between the seven authentic letters of Paul and the six disputed or sometimes called Deuteropauline letters, 
there are significant differences of writing style and vocabulary and, most importantly, theological emphases. For example, there are uh, differences in the way the authors talk about the church and the way these authors talk about the relationship between Christ and the church. In some cases, there are some nuanced differences in the explanation of particular aspects of Christian theology, while in some cases, the differences are so obvious that if you didn't know both of the letters were attributed to Paul, you would never assume that they were. Now, of those six disputed letters, scholars disagree to varying degrees about their authorship. Over the years, biblical scholars have spilled a significant amount of ink and in some cases have engaged in spirited and even heated, or at least as heated as biblical scholars get, (laughs) intellectual arguments uh, over whether or not this or that letter that is attributed to Paul was actually written by the historical apostle. Now, ultimately, of course, all 13 of the letters are in our Bibles, and so they are authoritative for our faith. But knowing their authorship and their historical setting helps us to understand the letters in their own context, which then can help us to interpret the letters for our current context. Last month, we talked about how Philippians is one of the undisputed letters of Paul. Everyone agrees that Paul is the author, written around the year 50 or 51 AD, Philippians is actually one of the earliest texts in our New Testament. Our reading for today comes from the much later letter to the Ephesians. New Testament scholar Raymond Brown in his introduction to the New Testament says uh, that about 80% of scholars think that Ephesians is Deutero-Pauline and that it was likely written in the 90s. Okay, that's four decades after Philippians. That's six decades after the resurrection, so it's very late in the New Testament history. That, in turn, means that the church had been around long enough to have endured some significant theological disputes. Those early decades of the church's life um, got pretty heated on some theological issues. The church had been around long enough to have had to figure out how to do life together with a diverse group of people uh, from wide from a wide variety of backgrounds. There were Jews and Gentiles. There were men and women, of course. There were slave and free. There were monotheists and former pagans. There were plenty of disagreements in those early years. The seven authentic letters of Paul make clear that the earliest generation of believers was a a raucous, imperfect group of people who were trying to figure out what it meant to live the Christian life in a hostile Roman Empire. By the time of the letter to the Ephesians, sometime in the 90s, the church had learned uh, that it takes a whole lot of work (laughs) to hold together such a diverse community, that it takes everyone uh, contributing the gifts that God had entrusted to them in order for the church to thrive. I love the letter to the Ephesians. It's a brilliant letter. It's full of beautiful theology. And our passage for today actually includes, as did Philippians in our little mini-series last month, Uh, several of my very favorite verses. So, we're going to turn to the text now. I just want to point out, so you've noticed in the bulletin and on the slides, we've started listing the page number in the pew Bibles in front of you. Um, 
193 in the New Testament for the pew Bibles in front of you. And then the Spark Bible there is the Bible that we give to our third graders. So in case our kids uh, bring their Bibles to church, which of course we encourage them to do, they don't have to necessarily know where Ephesians is. They can just turn to the page number. So uh, listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the author of Ephesians. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The wisdom of Ephesians is uh, the wisdom of a church that has grown in maturity, a church that had been making its way in a hostile world for decades, a church that had learned uh, hard lessons about what it means to endure and not just to endure, but to thrive in a world that is at times indifferent to religion, at times overtly at odds with the gospel. And in this section of the letter, the author echoes a theme that we talked about in Philippians last month, living lives worthy of our calling as Christians. And the question, of course, is what does that look like? So the Ephesians had learned that the Christian faith offers unity in the body of believers. We've talked about this a fair amount over the past couple of years, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it today, but the point is an important one. It's a central one to the health of the church, despite whatever differences we might have among us. Ultimately, our unity comes from our faith in Christ. Just like the, the early generations of Christians, there's plenty that could divide us if we let it. But our calling as disciples transcends our differences because in those beautiful words of Ephesians, there is one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father 
of all. The Ephesians had also become convinced of a point that the original Apostle Paul makes uh, first in 1 Corinthians. He originally made it in 1 Corinthians, and that's one of the seven undisputed letters. It's much earlier than Ephesians. Paul, in that letter, famously says that each of us has uh, unique gifts that God has given us, gifts that are uh, given to us for the building up of the community of faith. And in one of the theological differences between the authentic letters of Paul and the Deutero-Pauline letters, in 1 Corinthians, uh, these gifts come from the Spirit, is what Paul says. For the author of Ephesians, these gifts come from Christ himself. Regardless of the giver, it's all from God, of course, the purpose of these gifts uh, is a phrase that I, I love and I cite frequently to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And of course, when Paul's talking about saints, he's not talking about people who don't sin. He's talking about us. (laughs) We're all the saints of the church. And then the author of of Ephesians also teaches us that our work as disciples in the context of a community of faith is to, to grow in our faith and in so doing to contribute to the building of the body of Christ. In another phrase that I love from this passage, he says, Speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way. <laughs> Speaking the truth in love. <laughs> both, of those, both sides of that equation are important. It's easy to speak the truth all the time and not be all that loving about it. It's easy to be so loving that we're not willing to speak the truth. What we're called to do is to speak the truth in love. For the author of Ephesians, writing very late in the New Testament era, our unity in Christ inspires us to share the gifts that Christ has given us as we all grow in our faith and help to build the body of Christ, which of course is the church. The author of Ephesians is offering hard-won wisdom that is just as relevant for us today as it was the day it was written. Namely, that uh, an important part of the life of discipleship is to discern and then to cultivate and then to share our gifts with a community of faith. With summer drawing to a close, this is the perfect time, I think, to be thinking about uh, what gifts we have to share with the community of faith. And so I'll ask you, what are your gifts that you share with this congregation, with this community of faith, and thus the community in Plano and beyond? Right now, about 50% of us are worshiping here in person. About 50% of us are worshiping online. 100% of us, regardless of whether we're online or in person, have something to contribute. Now, all of us uh, can and should support our congregation financially, of course. Uh, That's important. We're going to spend some in-depth time on that particular subject in a couple of months during stewardship season. But for today, uh, we're talking about spiritual gifts beyond financial generosity. Maybe in this season of your life, uh, for whatever reason, the gift that you have to share is your presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, by which I mean the simple but incredibly faithful act of, of showing up each week. Never underestimate how important that particular gift is to your community of faith and to your own spiritual development. Whether you're in person or online, your presence matters, both in worship and in whatever small groups you call home. Maybe uh, you have the spiritual gift of a rich prayer life. 
If so, you might consider joining the Pray For Me campaign that we're going to be launching next week. You're going to hear more about this next week, but you'll be invited to take the name of a student, a child, or a youth and pray for them throughout the school year. You can participate in that ministry, whether you're online or in person. Look for details about that next week. Or uh, maybe you're a nurturing personality. Maybe that's how you show up in the world naturally. If so, there are lots of ways to connect and serve in our care ministries. Maybe you're great with children or youth. If so, I promise you that Meredith McBride and Reverend Paul Maletic would love to talk with you more about that. Maybe you're particularly called and uh, gifted for service work. As we talk about frequently, there are so many ways to join our Serving Others ministry, or maybe you love to sing. <laughs> if so, our music ministries would love to add your voice to theirs. The point, of course, the truth, of course, is that each of us has God-given gifts that we are called to share with the body of Christ. The art of Christian living is first to identify those gifts, to be clear about those gifts, and then uh, to be willing to join those gifts with others. The wisdom of, of Ephesians is wisdom for the church in every age and in every place. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Uh, friends, here we are at the, at the top of the Ferris wheel, about to begin the busy fall season in a vibrant and growing community of faith. Our work as a church is the same as the church to whom the author of the Ephesians was writing. It's about equipping the saints for the work of ministry, which is to say, equipping everyone who calls this place home to participate in some way in God's transformative work in the world. It is truly a gift that we all get to be part of it. Thanks be to God. Amen.